It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome on in to your Thursday Locked On Syracuse podcast. We will be wrapping up the week here. We're going to take tomorrow off. It's Tim Leonard, Tyler Aki, as always. We got New Year's tomorrow, so Happy New Year's to everyone out there, whether you're listening in 2021 congratulations on making it to 2021 if you are finish line it's right there tim it's right there you can see it you can hear it i'm i'm willing to put up with that classic new year's joke of oh yeah that was so last year or yeah i i that was you know i took that shower last year all those corny jokes that you have to put up with every this year it's fine i'm with you we're we're turning the page i saw a great TikTok out there. It was, you know how in school when the you come back from winter break and it's a different year and you're you're writing the date in the upper right hand corner and it's one dash nine dash nineteen and it's yeah, like, yeah. ah damn, it's actually twenty twenty. And it's like, okay, so you do that, you messed it up in sixteen, you messed it up in seventeen, you messed it up in eighteen, you messed it up in nineteen, and then you messed it up at the beginning of twenty twenty. But twenty twenty one, you're not gonna mess it up. You're gonna get that date right every time you're having to write it in the upper right hand corner. That is true. Everyone knows that it's finally here, and and I think we're all collectively happy, and hopefully 2021 is a better year to everyone out there that's listened. And we're going to keep going with our year in review here. We're going to conclude it today. Pick up from September. If you missed any of these year in review podcasts, it's been kind of fun to reflect on some stuff, remember some things that probably got lost in translation or just sort of you know, fell out of the memory bank because a lot of stuff has happened like any given year in Syracuse athletics. So go back and check out any of our recent podcasts. You can subscribe to the podcast and get it on Apple, Spotify, wherever you enjoy your podcast and feel free to leave us a review as well. That would help us out, but let's pick up from September here, Ty. And this really, we're going to take it September all the way to where we are present day here. So a lot of this will be football talk, which Unfortunately, it was not a great year, but we've kind of talked about how there are some positives. Anyway, the first couple things of note are kind of some funny things here in September that we have on our timeline. It was September 7th that the depth chart came out, and it might be like sort of lost how crazy this was at the time, because do you remember when that depth chart was released, and I remember we were doing podcasts the day before, 
predicting the depth chart. And we, like anyone else that follows the team, thought we had a pretty firm grasp on everything. And the depth chart comes out, and it was like, what is this thing? We got Chris Elmore at left guard. There was no rumblings of that beforehand. And there was just a lot of weird stuff on there. I remember that. And we saw the Chris Elmore thing, and we were like, okay, this is going to last what? We're probably not going to actually see him at left guard, right? Like, what's going to happen? And again, we didn't know what the exact situation was with Chris Bleich quite yet. But we figured that the longer it got drawn out, the less likely it was that he was probably going to get his waiver passed. So, yeah, it was just a a crazy sequence of of what the depth chart was going to be. You had some oddities at receiver. You had some oddities on defense, some guys you never heard of cracking the depth chart. And all that stuff, and you were kind of wondering to yourself, what is this team going to look like? And, I mean, even special teams. We thought James Williams was going to end up being the punter, but it was yeah. Nolan Cooney, <laughs> and he goes out and puts together an all-conference and all-American level season. So it was, yeah, the, the depth chart, I think, definitely took us by surprise. And back then, when we looked at the depth chart, I remember seeing Garrett Williams, and it was kind of a surprise that he was even on the two deep. Now, I think he was definitely in the conversation, but it's sort of fascinating to think back on our thought process of him because going into the season, it shows you just how much of a leap he made and just how great of a season he had for Well, remember what we were saying about it, too? The big thing that we said was, oh, wow, so Trill's going to be one of the three safeties that this team's going to have. So if he's not going to be a corner, that means they must have a hell of a lot of confidence in Garrett Williams. And boy, was the defensive staff right on that. And you hear, you know, now it's hindsight, and you hear Dino was saying stuff to the tone of, you know, Garrett came into camp and he just had that attitude right away. And he had a great camp and he just checked every single box and he left us no choice but to put him on that too deep. But he was definitely one of those surprises also On September 7th, the same day that the depth chart comes out, we find out Enrique Cruz, the offensive lineman who at one point was a four-star, I think maybe on a couple sites, is still listed as a four-star. He's dropped to a three-star on 24-7 sports. He committed on September 7th. So that was, on top of the, the crazy news about the depth chart, was a great, great thing to get him because, obviously, the offensive line, when you when you juxtapose one day you... You see a depth chart where you've got a fullback that is tr- has never played offensive line since eighth grade or whatever it was is now starting, and at least the the positive to that was that Cruz was committed and and on the horizon and coming soon. That was one of the more welcome surprises because it seemed like Syracuse was in the mix, but you weren't completely sure whether or not he was going to end up with the Orange. And to see a guy like Cruz, especially like you said with the depth chart and everything that came out there. A lot of unpredictability on the line. We didn't know what was going to happen. Dino had alluded to there were probably some injuries that we we weren't exactly sure how they were going to play out. And obviously, the offensive line was arguably the worst part of the Syracuse offense this past season. And so to see some reinforcements coming in on the line, especially a high-caliber guy like Cruz, that was a welcome sign. So the Saturday of that week was the first game UNC on the 12th. A couple days before that, to kind of remind people about this, this was the timeline of events. The 10th, so two days before that on the Thursday, Chris Blake's waiver is denied. And it comes out on Twitter. I think he announced it on Twitter that he had heard it was denied. And, you know, everyone's angry, rightfully so. We talked a lot about this in August and really even before that we were like where's this waiver where's it like free Chris Blake all this stuff and it comes out that it's denied and 
there's really just no logical reasoning why this was the case, and it's a great what-if for the season. I think he was hurt and probably would not have started the season anyway, but let's just, we don't know the extent of his injury. Let's just say that he played at some point. But he point. was going to get a free year. That was the thing. Yeah, so it's, uh, he's literally like the only player that got his waiver denied in a 2020 pandemic year, in any sport. I, I still don't understand why and it happened. there has now not... with basketball, they're going midway through the season and saying, yep, you're good to go. And, yeah. and all these guys are, and the Chris Blythe situation was, Probably one of the more head-scratching things we've seen out of the NCAA in the past calendar year. And again, it's not going to get the pub that maybe it deserves in terms of how mind-boggling it is. But in my eyes, it really is one of the worst things we've seen the NCAA do in terms of handling transfer situations in the past five years, probably. Yeah. The other thing that came out on the 10th, so the Thursday before the first game against UNC, The Athletic writes an article, Matthew Gutierrez reporting that Jarvion Howard and Abdul Adams are opting out of the season, which was kind of known, kind of expected. The sort of twist to this whole article is that, according to Matthew Gutierrez at the time, they were opting out to pretty much get ready for the NFL. And when I read that, I was like, is this a misprint? <laughs> Are we okay here? Is is everyone thinking straight? Because Jarvion Howard had shown some flashes, but by all accounts really shouldn't be even entertaining the idea of the NFL at that point in his career. Neither guy is an NFL caliber back right now. And again, maybe they could have used this season to play it out, and maybe they would have changed our opinions of them as NFL caliber backs. But I got to say, Blessing in disguise for for Syracuse fans because, boy, did they find a gem in Sean Tucker. Right. And do we have any idea what Adams and Howard are doing right now or what their plan is for next season? It looks like still. I mean, as far as Adams is concerned, it seems like he's still committed to going to the NFL. And then I think some things didn't come out, but it seems like the consensus is that the NFL draft part of it for Jarvion Howard may not have been true. Yeah. So I wonder. So he what's may be coming back next season. Okay. And that'd be a plus. I mean, we didn't have a ton of depth at the running back position once you lost Jawar Jordan. I, I do feel good about the running back position going forward because you bring in Josh Huff next year, and there's a, there's a lot of great options. A lot of power in Tucker. that backfield now. Yeah, which is great because they haven't had that in a while. But by all accounts, I mean, let's let's bring on Jarv Howard. Let's get him back if he's changed his mind on the matter or if the report was fault. Whatever the case is, it'd be interesting to see if we find something out in the coming weeks, which I, I don't really even know if we will. We'll probably just have to wait a while on that one, whether he is playing next year or maybe he'll announce something in the coming weeks. Who knows? But... That was two days before the first game of the season, and it was kind of a dud. I was at this game against UNC. It was very bizarre because this was very fresh in the start of the season of no fans are there. What's it like being in a stadium where there's fake crowd noise, all that stuff? It was very bizarre, and Syracuse actually hung around in the game because UNC was basically shooting themselves in the foot for the first half of the ball game, a lot of turnovers, a lot of sloppiness on special teams in the game, a lot of penalties from Syracuse, and they lose 31-6, which they were expected to lose, but the way they lost just felt a lot like the year before with poor offensive line play and DeVito kind of struggling to remain poised in the pocket. 
And it was the beginning of what we would see all season long. The offense was awful out there. And the defense just got so dog-tired, even though they were really good in that first half. And you can say what you want. UNC maybe didn't execute as well as they would have liked to. But we saw the beginning of the trend here, that the defense would just get so tired after playing its heart out in the first half, and then there just wasn't enough reinforcements. And, and this was when the defense was healthy. Wait until they, they weren't healthy later on in the season. So that was kind of the the early signals of what was to come. I think game one and game 11, I mean, Syracuse, you talk about consistency. That was consistent. We saw consistency throughout the season. It's just not the way you would have liked to see consistency. But they gave you pretty much the same performance game one through game 11. Sports gamblers, listen up because we've got some unreal savings for you guys over at betonline.ag. A special deal for the Locked On Podcast listeners. If you sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag, one of the best new up-and-coming sports books out there, and use our promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, which means if you put in $100, you get $50 free to put on any game, they've got a full slate of NFL that's been going on, college football heading into the New Year's Six Bowl games if you want to pick some of those games. Also, NBA is in full swing at this point. They've got every game you could possibly imagine, college basketball, you name it. And a cool thing about this site is you can tweet at them and ask them to come up with a specific prop. If you want to bet on something and you're like, man, I can't find this anywhere, I just want to get some odds on it so I can put some money down, Tweet at them at betonline underscore AG to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account. Use that promo code locked on for your sign up bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA. And now through June 30, get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. Getting into the second game, Pittsburgh was on the 19th, 21-10 loss. In hindsight, one of the better games probably they played all year. Pitt probably, yeah. never really panned out, but at that time, Pitt was still pretty good, and they still had their quarterback healthy, and there weren't as many problems that they would sort of later have in the season. And DeVito comes out in that game. Really, the big headline from that game was Rex Culpepper, in his return from cancer, tosses a touchdown pass. Was it on his very first pass when he came in? I can't remember. I don't Maybe remember if it was, it was the first pass or, or not, but yeah, it was his first series because DeVito got a little stinger, and, and DeVito comes back into the game, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly. And, yeah, I think he did. But yeah, but Rex, he throws a touchdown on that first series, the bomb to Taj Harris, I believe it was. And yeah, that was that was a really cool moment. But again, this... This was also kind of a theme that we saw, but Dino quit on the team. At the end of the game, when they had opportunities right. to use timeouts to save some clock, and he just chooses not to use any of them, the clock winds out, and ultimately Syracuse loses the game, even though they had, a, even albeit a very, very slim chance, especially the way that the offense was executing. It was a slim chance to win, but even when there's a slim chance, you especially in game two of the season, 
You have to show a little bit of faith in your team, and Dino Babers did not do it in that game. Now, this is sort of funny to think back on because after the Pittsburgh game, there were real rumblings after another clunker from DeVito where it was similar type of problems that we had seen from him going back to last year and the UNC game in the week prior. There were some not serious rumblings of maybe the magnitude that it was for Jacoby and Morgan over Rex or play a freshman over Rex in the later stages, but probably more rumblings for Rex versus DeVito than anyone would really care to remember at this point, because now it, it does look, and I think we were always on the right side of that. I know we had Zach Mahoney on the podcast in this time period, and he sort of advocated for Rex Culpepper being the starter and going to him just because he felt like Rex knew the system. And, you know, if you really care to, you can go back and listen to that podcast. I don't think he was the only person, though. There were a lot of people that were ready to just see what Rex had because he came in and threw that touchdown to Taj right away. Right. And again, we were all on Team DeVito at that point, even though there were some rumblings and there were some Team Rexers. But at the end of the day, Rex is a great story. Great stories don't win you football games. The talent that he had in his arm was not there. He was missing guys by a pretty wide margin, and he just could not move the offense down the field. And that's kind of what we've seen out of a lot of Syracuse quarterbacks that we saw this season. We saw plenty of them this season. Yeah, the next game was the one win of the season. (laughs) The the most positive game. I know. Georgia Tech, which 37-20, to they kind of just came out of the gate and played like the team that we – they gave us some signs that – Maybe they were rounding a corner because this was right before Duke and in a stretch where you thought they would pick up some wins. It was Georgia Tech, Duke, Liberty. They checked the first one with the win. It was the Sean Tucker breakout game. I still remember that first touchdown run he had where he kind of broke free for like a 35-yarder. I think it was the first touchdown in the new dome as it well, was, yep. pretty and it, cool. It was weird because he was – it's one of those plays where like he rolls over the guy. Most people from yeah. the naked eye would think that you're down – but he rolls on top of the guy, and therefore he's still technically not taken to the turf, and he runs it all the way for a score. That was an awesome, awesome game offensively. The defense set the table, too, because they forced a lot of turnovers on Georgia Tech and against Jeff Sims, and that's ultimately what led to the offensive success. They made short and easy fields for them, and they even got a touchdown of their own. And I I think maybe, because this game was the 26th, so maybe the 27th was our first Sean Tucker recap tweet of the season. That's right. Mm-hmm. This was his first breakout game, and it, I think he was getting some run against Pitt, and he was turning some heads in the time that he was getting the ball in the first couple games. Maybe even just Pitt was really where he started to get people's attention. The other thing of note of this game, it's the first Dome game. They come back, and a, a lot of stuff happened before the start of this game. One, there was a delay in the game because of COVID concerns, which was kind of surprising, kind of weird, and we didn't really know what was happening, but it ended up being just a 20-minute, just sort of double-check a couple tests, is I think what they clarified it was afterwards. But the one thing of note that was season-altering completely happens in pregame when Ed Hendricks ran into Andre Sisco. That was right before this Georgia Tech game, and of course now we know Sisco got hurt and I think was reported as a torn ACL he opts out shortly thereafter, and it's just it's such a what-if for the season and what-if really for Andre Sisco's career because he's probably got an all-ACC mention next to his name at the end of the year and continue to get picks, and a bummer that all of a sudden, before we knew it, Andre Sisco's career for Syracuse was over. I think the larger what-if here is the what-if for his draft stock. Could he have been yeah. a first-rounder? I don't think 
Andre Sisco's presence is going to change this team from being one in ten to three and eight or four and seven. I, largely, I don't think safeties can make up that big of a gap in the win loss column right there, as some people may think. No matter how talented you are, I don't care if you're Jamal Adams, if you're Andre Sisco, or if you're Jahad Carter. It doesn't matter. I don't think safeties will impact the game in terms of the win loss column that drastically. But yes, the greater what if here is what if he stays healthy and then becomes a first-round draft pick. How does that change the trajectory of Syracuse recruiting? Because they can go out and tout that now when they're going and trying to get these big-name defensive backs on the recruiting market. All right, so we can kind of pick up the pace here a little bit because we got three months to go. That kind of rounds out September. The only other thing, Dior Johnson left Oak Hill on the 30th. We'll get more into Dior in a little bit, as I know fans know. but. We, we start October with some basketball news. October 1st, we found out Cuse would not play in the Gotham Classic or they would not play Colgate. And the Gotham Classic was actually a game against LSU, which kind of looking back on it would have been an intriguing matchup that sort of set the table for changing their schedule a little bit. And this was in the unknown of what is the college basketball season going to be like and what is the schedule going to be like. On October 7th, they lose to Duke. And this wasn't rock bottom. I wish it was, but, you know, we find out that in the it wasn't. games, there were new the rock, rock got bottoms. even deeper at some point. Yeah. You were it, pushing it, the rock down. Which, it's crazy because I remember thinking during that Duke game, it's a 38-24 loss to a Duke team that basically had showed no signs of life going into the game with Chase Bryce as their new quarterback. On top of it, DeVito had a season-ending injury in that game. And the dome started leaking. And I remember when we saw the dome leaking, it was like, oh my God, what a terrible, terrible day. And little did we know that would be... in a nutshell. Yeah, it'd be like the fourth worst game of the year, which is so sad (laughs) to say out loud. (laughs) It is. And I think my favorite part of the dome leaking was that they were the Syracuse Athletics people were like, no, we kind of expected this to happen. Like, this is not a big deal. And it reminds me of the meme of the dog sitting there with the coffee and the room's just on fire. And it's like, everything is fine. Yeah. No, not everything's <laughs> fine. Your, your dome should not be leaking. Like, come on. Let, let's think about optics here for a little bit. Wasn't that kind of the insignia of the season right there? I feel like the dome leaking was just a giant symbol of what we were about to see for the rest of the 2020 football season. It's like if I went out and bought a shiny new car and put in a ton of money or maybe I got my car renovated or something and then I just pulled up to your house with a flat tire and was like, oh, this is totally fine, Ty. Like, th- no, it's this not is even that. It's like happen. the exhaust <laughs> is smoking, I feel like. That's more like yeah. it. <laughs> right. I mean, I think a flat tire is, is pretty catastrophic. The dome leaking is maybe not going to change things, although it did literally alter a women's basketball game later in the season. So... We'd come to find out that this was... But I guess you can practice on the floor after, like the the men's team did. Right. Still a weird one to think back on that. Maybe we'll get into that in our timeline. But uh, after the Duke game, we find out Andre Sisko's done for the season on the 12th. He declares for the draft on the 13th. Remember that video leaked out on Instagram? I think Anthony DeBundo was kind of on top of that. Yeah, he got a Shout out to him. That may have been the spawning of the scoop standings. It may have been. I think back to it. Yeah, we, we wanted to give our guy the, the first point, perhaps, there. But Cisco declares for the draft, not a shocker. It was kind of one of those things where you're just like, man, loved his time in Syracuse. What a cool story that he came from a little You know he recruit. wasn't coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we kind of moved past that. I mean, it, it just... This was sort of the downfall of the season here, though, because you lose DeVito, you lose Cisco. 
on top of losing all those opt-out running backs before the year, the offensive line problems, and all of a sudden you're quickly getting to this laundry list of injuries where you go into Liberty, and now we know Liberty is a good team. So it doesn't sting as much, maybe, as some of these other games in hindsight, but Liberty did just sort of embarrass you, and even in the moment it was sort of national attention from the lens of, whoa, Hugh Freeze is is doing something to Syracuse right now. They're going all over them in the Dome. The final score was 38-21, and we get Taj flipping the bird in this game, too, which was Probably kind of another cherry on top. iconic picture of the, the year for Syracuse yeah. athletics, I think, and that's not a good thing. But, I, I mean, you could say yeah. what? I'm sure there's some people out there touting, oh, it's... It's probably the Alan Griffin chase down block. That was a really cool picture. No, the best picture I saw all year was Taj flipping the bird to the camera. You got his little partner in crime, his sidekick, Tommy DeVito, right next to him giggling while it's happening. And uh, it's just like, like we said, we thought rock bottom was the Duke game. Boy, did it get a lot worse. Another great photo from the year that's just jogged my memory, when Jim Beheim was spotted throwing a jacket that was lined with photos of him throwing his jacket right, inside yeah. the jacket. That, that was jacket tossception. Yes, I think that might have been early on in 2020, maybe the Virginia game. I, I can't remember, obviously. But that was the, the Liberty game. I, I mean, just another dud that sort of, deepen the the rock and, and slammed it into the ground a little bit more. Also on that day, the NCAA granted winter athletes an extra year. We find out that is official. My favorite part of that later, is all of the yeah. the stats and, and record nerds were like, well, now Buddy Beheim's going to break right. every record. And G-Mac and the, got upset. Yep, and, yeah, and everyone was <laughs> up in arms. All the, the, the stats nerds were getting all feisty and testy with everyone. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Let the kids get another year. I think they deserve it for having to play for free in a, in a pandemic year and those Big Ten athletes having to play on Christmas of, of all days, too. Anyway, John Wildhack on the 21st. So I think this was a bye week, I'm assuming, right, after Liberty? Yes, this was before yes. the, the game against Clemson. Okay, right. So <laughs> good time for a bye, sort of. Um, they... They come out, Wild Hack announces on the 21st that Dino will be our coach in 2021, and I hope for a long time. And this was, I think it was good on Wild Hack to address it. And we talked about this when it happened, but, you know, it was expected. The buyout is large. We get it. A lot of people that didn't understand that, I just don't think you really understand what's going on, and, and that this was pretty obvious that as bad as this season was, Dino was going to get next year for sure. And I think it's interesting, too, because, yes, you mentioned the large buyout and all that stuff. But him getting out ahead of this, I think now that we know how the rest of the college coaching carousel kind of played out, like we saw Will Muschamp and Gus Malzahn, they had monster buyouts at South Carolina and Auburn. Now, again, it's kind of apples to oranges here because they're in the SEC. They're at football powerhouse or places that have a lot of football money and maybe the boosters care a little bit more about the football team. So they're willing to pony up some of that money for the said buyout. But I think that if Dino Babers was at an SEC school and putting up the same results that he put up at Syracuse, he would have been gone too. And yeah. I think that's kind of the the thing that we look at here. And again, this is all the way back in the middle of October when Wild Hack's saying this, and there aren't even inklings of the Gus Malzahn or the Will Muschamp things happening quite yet. So I think that is kind of important that he said that early. And in hindsight, 
that was probably the thing that we should have looked at as, yep, he's going to stay and not just have used the pandemic as kind of the reason for why he was going to to hang around. Because as we can see, not all coaching jobs were pandemic proof. They didn't all get to use that excuse. And not only did Dino get to use that excuse and, and, and all that, but I mean, one in 10 coaches, I don't care if you're in year one or you're in year four or five or six, usually one in 10 coaches don't come back. And so the next game is the second best football game of the year. I think by everyone's opinion, that's safe to say it's the Clemson game where there was a brief moment in that game. I remember texting you and it was getting real that maybe they were going to do something to Clemson again. And this was going to get real wonky here. It ends up being 47, 21, the final score, but Garrett Williams gets the pick six. You remember Taj was suspended for that game right before it was it was a brutal Rex game though is kind of what oh yeah was one of the what was it three interceptions if I'm remembering correctly and, and they were pivotal ones too I think he even threw a pick six but you look at the offense here we mentioned the Garrett Williams pick six so your offense is putting up 14 points and I know a lot of people came after us and said oh well they, they showed a lot of heart out there the defense showed a lot of heart the defense showed a lot of heart all season long but the offense, yeah. once again, it was the same old story. It was just the you found a new way to lose. And this time it was the turnovers. Syracuse was not coughing the ball up a lot heading into this game. And then this was the kind of the pivotal moment where that changed. And we did start to see the Orange turn the ball over. And we saw that turnover margin start to shrink a little bit. Because Syracuse, heading into this game, if I'm remembering correctly, had the best turnover yep. margin in the country. Not ACC, the country. And we started to see it slim itself down a little bit week by week because the offense started to give the ball away. And that was one of our talking points when people are saying, why are you so down on the team? Let, let them get into the season. We were saying, well, they're getting all this turnover luck and they're not still not winning games and it's still going really poorly right now. And from there, the, the turnovers progressed. They're not even close in a lot of these games. Yeah. Too. Like You can point to the, the pit game and say that was close. The UNC game was close at the half. You were playing tough with Clemson. But at some point, you got to be able to play a full close game, right? Like, sure, okay, you did it against Pitt, but you didn't do it against Liberty. You didn't do it against Clemson in this game by the final score metrics, and you didn't do it against UNC. So they never really closed that gap for an entire four quarters. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30. Get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. So Wake Forest is the next game. This is Rex full rock bottom, get Morgan, get a freshman in the game. And they end up losing 38-14. But the takeaway from this game is Morgan gets in on the final drive, goes whatever it was, five for five, hits a tight end for a touchdown. And Dino gets in the press conference afterwards. And I remember he said something to the effect of, I'm just happy that he caught the first snap. And, you know, I can't really glean anything from this, which I do sort of get. But he just didn't really give him any credit, and it was like, okay, Dino, now you, you have to realize after seeing Morgan go out there and do something positive, I don't care what the situation is, that whole week after that on the podcast, going into early November, we were like, 
Dino, please start Jacoby and Morgan so we have something to look forward to for the rest of the season. And, yeah, you mentioned how he was crap, not crapping on him for his performance, but said that's what he should do. They're second and third stringers. Well, Jacoby and Morgan's a fourth or fifth stringer, so he's technically playing up in the competition. This is the 14-year-old playing in the 16-year-old Little League here. Okay, he's a true freshman coming in, and that's why it was kind of inexcusable. And the fact that he held out that long, and remember Syracuse, it was kind of the same thing in this game too. They held close with them for a little bit. There were bits and pieces where you thought maybe Syracuse could have a chance on a final possession, and then Wake Forest starts to pull away because the defense is tired. Uh, It certainly didn't help that you didn't have Sean Tucker in this game or Trill Williams on the defensive side of the ball for you. And then... Jacoby and Morgan comes in and flashes something. I mean, he had that one yeah. play where he rolls out to his weak side, and I believe he hits Sherrod Johnson on a pass down the field. And it's just like, well, where was this? We we could have had this for an entire half because Rex was absolute garbage in that game. That was one of the worst Rex games we saw all season long. Yeah, I, I think I said earlier Rex rock bottom was Clemson – no, I think I was spot on. This was rock bottom, and they go to Jacobian for BC. He starts. Actually, it was kind of because Rex was hurt, though, apparently, so right. he never really mm-hmm. got to see the decision. But it's a 16-13 game, one of their better performances of the year. Unfortunately, that's just how we have to look at this season. Right before that, Trail does opt out for the draft. And then right after that, on November 10th, we get some basketball news of Dior Johnson decommitting. Just a, a total bomb at that point. It was two weeks earlier that he enrolled at Corona Centennial. And kind of reading the reports afterwards, that's when Syracuse probably knew that he was not coming to Syracuse officially. But in a way, kind of a relief to just get the Dior phase over with and nip it in the butt a little bit. And the meters finally hit zero. Yeah. They finally hit zero. They were trending down, so it was November 10th we find out. The good news is the next day, Benny signed his national letter of intent, so it was kind of a pick-us-back-up-to-neutral. Two days after that, Roddy Gale picked Ohio State, and it came out earlier in the week that he was shifting to Ohio State. That was a guy that we really were high on going to Syracuse, and it seemed like everyone had Syracuse as the front-runner there up until Ohio State was selected on that Friday. And then the 15th of November... Big news comes out. I think this was a Sunday. Jim Beheim tests positive, and the program has to go on pause. There's question marks about the opener against Bryant, and that was scary because now we know Beheim made it through, and he was totally fine. It seems like he had minor symptoms, according to himself, but he was in that age bracket that made you a little concerned, and that, that one hit a little harder than we were talking about on the last podcast, how you saw guys test positive. Like I saw last night, Kirk Herbstreit test positive for COVID, and I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way. I hope he's obviously okay, first and foremost. But also, it was kind of just like on the bottom line on ESPN. It's not that noteworthy. This one did hit a little bit harder because it was Beheim and just his age and everything. And he's a cancer survivor, all that tied into it. Right. And the thing, too, with with this happening is it's right before the season, and you don't know what's going to happen now with the season. And, again, obviously Beheim's health was first and foremost, but, sure, he was in that age bracket, but we know that he takes very, very good care of himself. He does the Pilates and all that stuff. He's in very good shape for someone his age. No doubt about that. What is he, 74, 75 years old now? So I think he's 75. He, yeah, yeah, he's in very, very good shape for someone 75 years old. You don't see a lot of 75-year-olds walk, let alone roam a sideline for a 40-minute basketball game. So, the fact that, 
uh, it obviously a great sign that he he got better and all that stuff, and then Syracuse eventually gets their season underway. A couple days after that, Elijah Hughes gets drafted to the Jazz. He's off to a pretty good start with them. The 20th of November, Syracuse is shut out by Louisville. That was another digger, deeper, rock-bottom type game. Jacoby and Morgan got hurt. And then basketball starts on the 27th. They beat Bryant by one, but Bayheim, we all know, says that they shouldn't have played the game. There's the Grosso versus Bayheim drama afterwards. Gerard's first real signs of him struggling. But they end up getting the win, and really the biggest thing that happened in that game was Barama Sidibe got hurt. Right. That went the a little under the radar because of all the other drama. There was the yeah. drama with Gerard. There was the uh, the big plays that you saw during the game, like the Alan Griffin alley-oop dunk, and then obviously the Bayheim saying that, oh, we shouldn't have played this game on his halftime interview on Syracuse radio. And then after the game, Jared Grasso, of course, makes his comments. And then you just notice that, oh, yeah, Barama Sidibe went out injured in the first half. And obviously, out of everything that happened in that game, that is the biggest news. Because, uh, listen, the drama goes away after a while. We've seen Gerard pick it up and have some pretty good games. And we've seen Syracuse play pretty well in some games, too, where the the pause, maybe they, they had gotten past it to a degree. But they have not really recovered from the whole Barama tearing his meniscus, per se, quite yet, because they have missed that strong interior presence that he provided. Late November, the last football game of November, the 28th, was a memorable one for sure. It was the Rex Culpepper spikes on fourth down loss to NC State, where probably their best offensive game outside of Georgia Tech of the entire season. They end up losing it 36 to 29. We need someone to make a 2020 Syracuse football highlights tape with the bed. Do we? The music uh, bed of the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme. Yeah. And because this <laughs> is is the peak of it right here. When Rex spikes the ball on fourth down, he makes a or spot they could just appearance keep cutting, on Come On Man. Yeah, keep cutting to Rex spiking the football like as the beat drops and keep right. going to different scenes from the season and then go back to Rex. <laughs> yes, and then yes. go back to that Rex. Perfect production right there. Any of our loyal listeners that are great with uh, video editing, that is my project to you to open up this 2021. Yeah, that'd be a, a tough You'll get one. a retweet, you'll get a laugh, and you will get a shout-out from us. And who knows, maybe maybe there'll be another prize out there for someone. Also, I, I don't really want to watch it at the same time. So if oh, you're I'd love to watch to, it. I would love I know, to watch but it. It'd be torture for someone, the poor person that would have to make that. Anyway, the day after that, a really awesome story that is probably one of the better moments of the entire year, and, and we've been kind of counting those down on Twitter, and we'll continue to do so, but Tiana returns to the court after obviously her long battle with cancer and beating cancer and she plays great as one of the better games of anyone on the Syracuse team and they and they beat Stony Brook in Syracuse's season opener that is and again for both her and Rex Culpepper amazing feats you went through one of the hardest battles a human can go through and then you just kind of come back and it's like life is normal, especially in the case of Tiana, because she was one of the best point guards before she had cancer. And then she's come back and it's like she hasn't skipped a beat. She's been phenomenal. And I know the women's team is on pause right now, but she's obviously a huge reason why they've had all this success. It's weird because, you know, in the we used to talk about the men's team and how they would always have one of the best players in the country. 
And now that's kind of shifted. It's the women's team that has year in and year out one of the best players in the country, whether it was Alexis Peterson. And now you've got Tiana Monacahia. There's always someone on that team that is garnering major national recognition. And Tiana is one of the best point guards in college basketball right now. So we can kind of fly through December. I did want to say one thing on the the last November note that you wrote down here, something we really didn't talk about a ton. I don't know if it was just the timeline of events here, but it's on November 30th, Dino comes out and says that Cuse probably wouldn't have played the season without Elmore shifting to the offensive line position and making that change in preseason because they were down to so little scholarship offensive linemen. And I just want to shout out Chris Elmore because – As we talked about on September 7th, the thing we let off this podcast with, it was shocking news when that happened. It was a big concern, and he ends up as, according to Pro Football Focus, the highest-rated offensive lineman of the year. And everyone that is around Chris Elmore, they all just rave about him as a teammate. So for him to sort of now be able to go back to his natural position next year, hopefully that's the case because that's what he has any shot of playing in the league at, and that's what Dino's talked about. But this was sort of an underrated quote, I think, looking back on it, that that is how dire it was at times. He deserves all the credit in the world. He's the reason why this team played football this season. And now you may say, well, I would have rather not seen a 1-10 in 10 season. I would have rather not seen that on the record books for the rest of my life. But th- this was an important developmental year for a lot of these players, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And without Chris Elmore, a guy who, again, there may be a spot in the NFL for him, and it's not on the offensive line because of his size. And for him to make that sacrifice and pretty much sacrifice a year of tape, that's a huge unselfish move that I don't think was given enough respect. And that's part of why we're doing this is to give respect for some of the people whose achievements went under the radar. All right, this is the last podcast of the year, and I, I think it might, might set a record for one of our longest at this point. So let's rip through... December here. Let's just say most of you guys remember what happened. This yeah, is all this month, right? And if you haven't, then I don't know. Go back through our Twitter page or something, or, or go back through our podcast. That that'd be even better. And, yeah, and get our double takes download. On that. But yeah, right. We'll appreciate that. If you let, let's just say a couple favorite things that stood out in December so far. What are a couple moments that have stood out to you? Well, obviously the big one is Garrett Schrader committing to Syracuse, giving yeah. some competition in the quarterback room. And just the way that it seems like Dino's spoken about him to Schrader is that, hey, I want you to go out and win this job. I'm not going to hand it to you, but you're you're being brought in here to win this job. And I think that speaks volumes to what's happened. Another thing, Fatu Malafanwu declaring for the draft, I thought that was awesome. Good for him. He's got an NFL build to him. I think he can be a very successful corner. And then this is one that we didn't really talk about at all on the show just because basketball and football recruiting stuff was happening. But how about Jim Phillips being named the new ACC commissioner? We have not talked about that really at all on this show. And it actually deserves some time because what he has done at Northwestern at a school that is very, very difficult to have athletic success And for them to perennially be one of the best teams in football, not one of the best, but like they're a ranked team pretty much every single year under under his tenure. And then on top of that, you've had basketball go from being the absolute laughingstock of not just the Big Ten, but really all of the Power Five to a team that's made the tournament and now looks like it could go to the tournament again this year. 
And have you seen the football facility that they have built on Chicago's lakefront? I mean, no. my Lord, it is probably the <laughs> nicest facility in all of college football. And I, I know Clemson's got a slide. They have a barbershop. They've got impeccable facilities of their own. But if you have not seen the Northwestern football facilities, I would implore you to go Google image search it right now because it is the nicest facility I have ever seen. Yeah. I'm going to bring up a couple points here that I think kind of went under the radar, sort of looking through this timeline we have here. One, Josh Black coming back, and there was a lot of confusion. Was he going? Was he not? We had to subtract a point from our guy, Matthew Gutierrez, unfortunately, on the scoop standings there. And, you know, he was off in, in Josh Black's returning, which is huge news now that we know that officially. Also, Aaron Service is coming back. We found out about that. The timetable of the other players is still kind of unknown. The other thing I want to bring up, Northeastern, that game is kind of the one game that has not aged well so far because I just saw they they got beat by West Virginia the other night, so I went back and kind of looked at their schedule. This is what Northeastern has done since they played Syracuse. They lost to Old Dominion by four points, lost to Georgia, who was not very good out of the SEC, kind of a back half SEC team this year, lost to them by 18 points, 76 to 58, and then lost to West Virginia, who is really good. Handedly, so I'm not saying it's it's a huge thing, but I feel like the rest of these teams, Bryant has aged well. They've had some good wins, and that one point loss maybe doesn't look as bad. But that Northeastern game is still kind of a head scratcher looking back on it, and that's that game where Alan Griffin got benched, and it seems like you know we've, we've sort of moved past that. The other thing is that BC game may have been it's not the best all around game of the year because I think a lot of it was BC stunk, but it's in the top five for. Sure, of top Shot the lights out. Offensive yeah. exhibition right there. It was awesome to watch what they put on that night. Yeah. So as it stands right now, that'll that'll kind of conclude our year in review. We got two programs in pause to to end between women's basketball and men's basketball to end the 2020 year in review, and it's it's kind of a fitting way for the programs to be put. But hopefully, it's smooth sailing from here. We got a really good women's basketball team. Lacrosse is coming, and I'm sure we'll be talking a little bit about that. We've had a couple of people reach out to us and say, uh, "Can we get into some lacrosse preview stuff?" And definitely, I do want to make time for a little bit of lacrosse talk, depending on when that season gets going. And I think a lot of exciting stuff. I have seen some there are trouble some transfers. Stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that with some news coming out about. I know Stephen Rafis, I think, was one of the guys who is potentially reports are saying he's transferring. I don't know if that ever became official. But anyway, looking forward to 2021. That, that's the bottom line here. Happy New Year to everyone, and hopefully we get a lot of great Syracuse sports moments. We'll be here all year, though, to, to recap the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever. So subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy it. Thanks for listening all year long, and we'll talk to you guys in 2021. tournament is almost here and listening to locked on college basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket so don't wait find locked on college basketball on youtube or wherever you get your podcasts part of the locked on podcast network your team every day